Hello everyone and welcome to tonight's MHTV. Um, tonight we've got an interesting discussion about the role of nurses in mental health review tribunals and I'll hand over to our guest in a second who can introduce herself and give us a bit of background about why it's important that nurses are involved in tribunals. But first of all, I'm going to go over to Nikki, who's covering the social media tonight, to explain a little bit about how you can get involved. Absolutely, yeah. We're really keen to hear from you. So if you want to join in on the Facebook page, I can see your questions and I'll feed them through from there. Um, if you are engaging via Twitter and you want to tweet questions to us, if you use the hashtag MHTV, we'll be able to see what you're writing and share it. So thank you very much. Thank you, Nikki. And, um, and over to you, Helen, then. Um, are you OK just to say a few words about yourself, who you are, and, um, and why this topic's important here tonight? Absolutely. Thank you. My name's Helen. I am a mental health nurse. I'm a lecturer and I work clinically, um, locally to me, with children and young people, so 0 to 25. And in the last year and a half, I have been involved in tribunals um, more so than normal. And it's become really apparent to me what an important safeguard they are for the people that we care for and also how absolutely key nurses are to tribunals because they spend so much time with the patients and I've seen the good and the bad um, in terms of uh, people giving evidence at tribunals, reports writing, people being there that know the patient and I thought this was an excellent opportunity to think about the role of the nurse in the tribunal, celebrate why we're so important in that tribunal process and think about how we can do it well. And when we do do it well, why it's so important for the people that we care for. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think there are so many angles to this tonight, aren't there really? But I think, um, you know, what strikes me most of all is that nurses are often the people who spend the most time with a person and know the person best and a best place to advocate. But of course, there's lots of complexities with that, isn't there? If you're kind of presenting um, a report about someone, but also thinking about advocacy as well. Um, so, I mean, I'm mindful that there might be people watching tonight who don't even know what a mental health tribunal is, people who just picked up on this conversation on, um, on Facebook. So could we just start by maybe just talking a little bit about what a mental health tribunal is for people who might not be as familiar with that term? Absolutely. So mental health tribunals are designed to be a safeguard in the mental health that so for patients that are detained under a section of the mental health act who or who have a discharge that's conditional so maybe a community treatment order a tribunal is an independent body um, a legal body that will look at whether the law is being upheld whether it's been implemented and will advise on whether that patient's detention should continue or whether the community treatment order should continue or whether they should be discharged from that section. So if I talk a bit, maybe starting with who's on a panel, that might be yeah, useful. Be yeah. So for, for people that haven't been involved in the tribunal process, and it can be quite difficult yeah. to get involved in the process if you're not part of the people presenting so it can sometimes be hard to get that exposure it's a judge so it is a legal process mm -hmm. that is headed by a judge all members are equal in the decision making process so there's the judge there's a medical member so that's a psychiatrist with experience in psychiatry not related to the patient's care so an independent psychiatrist and then a specialist lay member so that will be someone with knowledge of mental health services who is um, independent to the patient also generally someone from a social work background or a mental health nursing background but not exclusively I've seen GPs um, police uh, I've seen people with experience of services, so um, parents of people who have had uh, mental health admissions. So it can be quite varied, but 
I think one of the things that I'm hopeful we'll talk about later is how mental health nurses can be part of this as a specialist member if that's something they want to because they've got so much to give in that role so that's who makes up the tribunal yeah and quite a daunting process for somebody who's who's really unwell to be in front of a judge and a psychiatrist who who they don't know and the lay person who could possibly be somebody from the police as well absolutely and currently tribunals are all online Mm. so when covid hit all of the tribunals went online yeah and at the moment we're not quite sure what's going to happen with that moving forward. Mm -hmm. So the role of the nurse in the tribunal absolutely starts way before the tribunal. Yeah, It starts in explaining what that process is. Because as you've said, it can be really, really scary and it's quite a hidden legal process and it is a legal process. The judges will go to great lengths to make people comfortable but ultimately it is a formal legal process and preparing people for that is really really important. They've done research that has looked at people's experiences of tribunals and how to maintain therapeutic relationships Mm -hmm. because one of the things that's going to happen in a tribunal is people will present evidence and reports Mm -hmm. and it can be quite it has the potential to damage that therapeutic relationship and what they found is that if people have been involved so they've been told what the process is going to involve they've been given copies of the reports they've had their voice heard they've had their opinions put into the reports that actually this process has the ability to strengthen therapeutic relationships because of that advocacy role Mm. Um, and then the flip side to that is it can be damaging if that doesn't happen and and I should actually say before we even get to the point where we're sitting down and talking someone through a tribunal we've got to tell people that they've got the right to a tribunal yeah and it really is a legal safeguard Mm. as a mental health nurse we work in a system that has the ability to detain people against their wishes. So that is an absolutely huge responsibility. And the tribunal gives the scrutiny to that. And if you look at the Human Rights Act, people have um, the right to a speedy trial in order to protect those human rights. And it's just so important that people understand that they have a right to a tribunal and what that means. Yeah. And do people tend to exercise that right? Do you know at all what the kind of data is currently? Putting you on the spot. No, so I did do a bit of research (laughs) beforehand. So last year there were just over 20,000 tribunals. So that will cover section two, section three, community treatment orders, all the forensic sections as well. Um, That was double the tribunal, that was half, sorry, of the tribunals that were referred for hearing. And the reason for that is things like, obviously with a section two, there's a really tight turnaround for people to have that tribunal. Um, and so people may be discharged before the tribunal happens, people withdraw their application, or sometimes a looming tribunal, and this, is, this, this isn't the point of them, but it, it is important to acknowledge that sometimes gets everyone sat down looking at the person and thinking, actually, I don't think they do meet the criteria for detention. And so yeah. people are discharged because actually everyone's got together and realised that. Yeah, and it can be quite positive thinking about tribunals I've been involved in, and we are going back a few years now, but, you know, it can be quite positive where even if a decision's been made that a person should stay detained under the Mental Health Act, other decisions are made about the person's care by bringing those professionals together that benefit the person. And and certainly, you know, like I've utilised that, you know, within sort of therapeutic relationships because people feel, you know, very out of control and mm-hmm. kind of feeling that that panel still had some influence, even if it hasn't led to them being taken off the 
section can be quite powerful, can't it? Absolutely. And something that you often see in mental health tribunals is that people um, haven't involved nearest relatives as they should, haven't looked at less restrictive options in the way they should and actually getting people to sit down and look at the legal criteria as you say can be a really positive I just wanted to pick up on a point that you said Vanessa about how this process can be of benefit and one thing I really really want to stress I think when we're thinking about how nurses can make this process as therapeutic as possible is There is a section when you're writing reports about the patient's strengths and the patient's interests. Mm. Please, please, please Mm. see this as important as the rest of it. Because with the legal criteria, we're looking at whether someone has a mental disorder. We're looking at whether it is the nature and or degree to warrant restrictive care. And so it can be looking at risk it can be looking at incidents that have happened it's so important to make sure when you're thinking about recovery models and strength-based models that that has a presence in that report and I think that's something that nurses can do really really well yeah absolutely I think you're right and it humanizes the process as well doesn't it because there's not people who've committed a crime and in front of a judge because of a crime usually because um, somebody's ill and um, and needs protecting because they're vulnerable. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, making it as humanely um, relaxing as possible for a person is really important. And what you said earlier about the therapeutic relationship, I think, is, is important. You know, being able to kind of maintain that humanity. I suppose what I'm thinking of there is that one of the key moments in my career was somebody coming up to me years later in the street and telling me that I'd been involved in their detention but that what they remembered about it was that I was really human with them because it was a woman who was a similar age to me and she said even though you told me I couldn't leave because I was going to harm myself and even though I was placed on a section of the mental health act we then sat and talked about clothes and everyday things and you made me feel like I was human and I've always remembered that I think you know it's absolutely kind of what nursing's about isn't it to kind of keep hold of that humanity and um, even when we're having to do something that restricts a person's liberty and you hope that you know when the person's well they understand that you're acting in their best interest but at the time someone's unwell they don't necessarily see that you're acting in their best interests and I think that's you know that's the conflict we have isn't it it is it is. And, and I think it's important to remember tribunals, as well as giving you the opportunity to sit down with someone and say, what, what would you like to happen as a result? You know, what is your opinion on this? What is your view? And making sure that that is heard in that legal process. They also do, it's not uncommon for them to take people off their sections because the the um, legal criteria is not being met. So in addition to making it as therapeutic as possible by doing the things that we've discussed, actually what I think the mental health tribunals do is remind us as nurses that we are responsible for this decision. We are part of the team that is saying this person needs to be detained. We can't put our hands up and say, actually, you know, it's the social worker and it's the doctor that are saying that. We are part of the decision-making process. And the Code of Conduct for the Mental Health Act makes it very clear that there is a duty for people who spend the most time with the patients, which is us, Mm. to be involved in that tribunal process by writing reports, by giving evidence. And the reason that's so important is because when we're looking at whether someone is meeting that legal criteria, so has the mental disorder of this nature and degree, and whether there are whether there are less restrictive options that can be tried, we're the people that have the majority of that information 
because we spend so much time with the pe- people and because tribunals do discharge people and as I say that isn't uncommon we absolutely have a duty ethically professionally legally to have a good understanding of this process but also to absolutely take it really seriously yeah talk to people about why they might want a tribunal mm-hmm. and ensure that we protect things such as the report writing meeting with the person beforehand to talk about what will be involved and I think that probably brings me on to another point if that's okay yeah um, which is this does go a bit wider than just the nurses that are providing the evidence at the tribunal ward managers and community team managers absolutely need to work with everyone to protect the time to get tribunals and the reports done because several reasons but the main one would be that when a report doesn't have much information or doesn't come on time firstly the tribunal's at risk of being adjourned Mm. which is really stressful for the patient because it's a big thing a tribunal you know yeah and so to have it adjourned is really really stressful Mm. but also is risking breaching someone's human rights because they have a right to a speedy trial to have this um, scrutinized and because that advocacy we absolutely need to advocate for people's legal rights and if we risk adjourning because there isn't enough information we're not fulfilling our role in that area so reports that are incomplete or don't have very much information at all or don't come in time or don't come at all or having a nurse who comes to give evidence in the tribunal who has never ever met the patient which shift patterns annual leave absolutely understand that but has not been given the time prior to the tribunal to meet with the patient to read the notes to look at the medication card to know what leave they've had to understand what contact's been had with the nearest relative absolutely does our patients a disservice Mm -hmm. um and and risks the safeguards that are in that tribunal and we we know that the pressures on mental health nurses are huge at the moment and covid has exacerbated that yeah so it goes wider i think than just the nurses giving the evidence it's got to be the gravity of how important tribunals are and how important nurses are in those tribunals needs to be recognised by people that are managing the staffing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Nikki, at this point, I'm just wondering about coming over to you. Have we got any questions tonight? Yeah, we've got a few. Um, people are basically still not 100% sure, I think, what we're looking at when we're looking at tribunals. So, um I've got one here saying, um, really sorry for silly question. It's not a silly question, Alfie. It's not nope. a silly question. Um, are tribunals locally managed by each NHS trust or have they got an independent uh, national body? So they're managed by the Ministry of Justice. So there will be, most trusts will have their own mental health at office who are a really good source of information. If you are worried or have questions that the Mental Health Act of someone's care that you're involved in might not be accurate or you've got any concerns, speak to them because they know that code of conduct inside out. Um, But it is managed nationally by the Ministry of Justice and they will work with the mental health um, admin team to sort out the logistics of when and where. I've got another one here from um, Josalina Carter. Hello, Josephine. Um, What band are you supposed to be to have to be able to attend a tribunal and represent a patient? Mm. You need to be best placed, really. So you need to know the patient the best. Care coordinator or a named nurse. It doesn't have to be any band. You need to know the patient well. I think 
part of the skill of mental health nursing and ones that we have to develop mm. as quali- when we qualify is being able to take lots of information and summarise it succinctly. So mm. Report writing is a, is a skill and you develop it. Get involved in it at an undergraduate level um, will we'll really help you develop it. But you can be any band of nursing, but you need to know the patient. The, you need to be the person in the team that works the most with that patient. So name nurse or care coordinators are really best placed. Again, for section twos, because they're so quick, yeah. it might be that there isn't someone who's known the patient for a long period of time. But then it's even more important that you sit down with that patient and say, this is what's going into my report. I've got it from the notes. Is there anything you would like to add? And I just want to add to that before we get to the next question. Sometimes you see in reports things that are put in that might have been documented once, but maybe there weren't an accurate representation of what happened or there's never been any evidence that actually happened or it might have even been put in the wrong patient's notes. It just got wrote somewhere Mm. and never, ever got repeated again. But it can be quite serious in terms Mm. of um, risk assessment. Just be aware that if you mention that in your report, that will be picked up on because it's a legal process. So we're looking to understand exactly what's going on and and we need the details. So if you're pulling bits from notes to go into the reports, just beware. The more detail you put in there, the less questions you're going to get asked. But also don't, don't pick things out of notes without having explored them fully. Yeah. Because it, it makes it difficult to make a decision. Sorry, Nikki. You misrepresent someone, can't you? Absolutely. And the, one of the worst things with notes is once it's written once, sometimes in a risk assessment, it gets copied over without always being checked. And that's a real issue. Yeah. Um, I think that was a much better explanation. That's what I was trying to say, really, is that <laughs> things kind of get copied over and yeah. it's never fact-checked. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes they make their way into to the report. Yeah. Yeah. And just make just be aware it's a legal document. Mm, yeah, and sometimes the thing that strikes me is sometimes things are included that don't need to be shared with a panel. For yeah. example, details of somebody's trauma history yeah. doesn't need to be referred, you know, detailed, yeah. um, you know, unless it's relevant to, you know, the discussion, but kind of thinking carefully mm. about what you document about someone's history is really important as well, I think. Just picking up on the point that some things don't need to be disclosed, you can also apply for non-disclosure in tribunals. So generally when this is used is when a um, supporter of an individual, so the nearest relative says, this has happened, but if you tell the individual, if you discuss it in the um, tribunal, it will really, really damage our relationship. Just be aware that when you're advising nearest relatives as um, someone who's going to the tribunal, so when you're talking to them about what, about that and about non-disclosure of information, the bar is very high Mm -hmm. um, for doing that. And you have to be able to demonstrate that it's going to cause significant harm for obvious reasons. It's not a fair and transparent process if we're, keeping things from people so there are certain circumstances and again you can see in the code of conduct but just be aware that it's a decision made by the tribunal members who will consider that so you can't guarantee that it will not be disclosed so if someone says I want this to be considered in the tribunal but I don't want it to be discussed you can't make any promises. Yeah. You can talk to them and put together a good case, but there aren't any guarantees. And that's really important um, in order to protect the patient. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, we've got a question. What kind of information is expected to be presented? Don't worry, you don't have to just make it up. You get given a form that tells you the sorts of things they're going to ask. So look one out if you haven't seen one before. Yeah. Um, and if you get an opportunity to see other nurses doing it, ask them what they're doing and ask them how they go about it. You can get some really good tips and, and hints about how best to fill these in a way that's very fair and mm. and actually supports you um working with service users not and because you're absolutely right it can feel like a them against us situation very quickly yeah. but it's really about protecting and safeguarding and if you look at it from that therapeutic way you have a very different relationship when you fill in that paperwork 
Mm. In terms of just building on what you've just said, the code of conduct tells you what needs to be included and you're right, you will always get a form so you you genuinely don't need to worry about that. Mm. Just a few tips for when you are filling out these reports. Firstly, really, really, really try and avoid copy and pasting and I'll tell you for why. When things are copied and pasted over with inaccuracies, such as the wrong patient's name, patients are misgendered, um, patients are, there are things that clearly aren't relevant to that patient because they've been accidentally copied and pasted. And we know you're you're busy. We Mm. genuinely do. Just be aware that that sort of thing can really impact on the therapeutic relationship. And I've, I've seen it because this is so important. This is people's liberty. Yeah. And then for, for it to be copy and pasted and the name to be wrong, it's, it can be really, really distressing to an individual because the process is so, so important to them. Mm. So really just have a go through it with a fine tooth comb and just double check that. Um, the things that we are going to be really useful in terms of the report writing, as well as filling in the report, you might want to ask if you can see the report from the social circumstances, if you're not writing that, and maybe the responsible clinician as well. And I would really recommend having a discussion with the responsible clinician and with the person doing the social circumstances report, again, if, if neither of those are you, and just making sure that you're all in agreement. Because if you're not, that's absolutely okay. You do not have to be in agreement. You are making your own judgment based on your own clinical expertise. Mm-hmm. But just bear in mind that that does... When you think about how legal processes work and how judges work, that mm-hmm. that... If you haven't discussed that, that does raise some questions. So if you've got very different opinions, but that's never been discussed and it's not addressed in the report, it just raises a few questions as to the care the person's getting. So have yeah. those discussions beforehand. Absolutely. It's really, really useful. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a couple of people here suggesting I get the money in lemon. Thank you very much. I'm just getting over COVID, so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a message from Mushtags. I love to see Mushtag, friend of the show. I've attended two circ- social circumstances report for mental health tribunals, and I've attended together with a team manager. Always emphasise strengths. It was a nervous experience, let alone for patients, absolutely. I did wonder about the lack of diversity of panels and advocates mm-hmm. on the ward. They tactfully put there. Thank you for that. <laughs> Have you anything, um, any comments to make around that? So, the I do have some comments, yes. Um, the... Ministry of Justice are really working hard to look at diversity issues in the panel and make them more representative of the people that they serve. Um, In terms of this, it kind of works intersectionally. So there's loads of things they need to work on. But one of the things they're particularly looking at is the age of tribunal panels because you have to commit a certain amount of time to tribunal panels. Um, it means that it is it aligns itself well to someone who works part-time or maybe is retiring. Yeah, yeah. so does does has a bit more time. Now we know that we represent a diverse age range and it's really important that that's represented in the panel so that's one thing they're looking at they're also doing big have done recruitment drives in order to address that and I think it's really high on their agenda both in terms of um, every kind of intersectional part of diversity they're looking at the panels that I've been have been quite diverse in terms of job role um, or that I've that, that I've seen, but I agree they do definitely need to look at that. And I think it's high on their agenda to address that, particularly as, again, when we're thinking about how the Mental Health Act is implemented and some of the discrimination that happens within the Mental Health Act, we know that it 
impacts on some people more than it does on others, which again is why tribunals are so important because they look at the legal criteria and whether that has been met. And actually, if someone has been detained un and the legal criteria isn't there, that scrutiny holds that up. So I think that's a really useful thing to start talking about. And I think it's important that we understand that tribunals are part of reducing some of those inequalities. But exactly as you've said, the panels need to be representative of the population that they are looking out for. Yeah, and as a nurse, we can do things to support a person, can't we, where adaptions need to be made. You know, for example, somebody who doesn't speak English as a first language, somebody who might have issues with literacy, um, you know, neurodiversity. So, so, so one of the first things on the report that you're um, asked to complete is, is there anything that might make it hard for the person to participate in the tribunal? And if so, what adjustments could be made? Um, and again, just making sure that you've sat down with the person and checked with them and asked them. I, I, I guess this is an aside because it's hard, but the technology makes a huge difference yeah if someone has a hearing problem for instance just having I know it's hard to find the laptops that work on the wards mm -hmm. if you're doing ward-based tribunals or if you're in the community kind of getting your laptop to a patient but often laptops don't have great volume sometimes it's hard to get everybody on the camera or it's hard for the um, patient to see everyone and as you said, as the um, last question said, it's really daunting giving evidence as a nurse, let alone being a patient. Yeah. If there's anything you can do to make the technology as smooth as possible while we're doing online, it goes a long way. And again, you've got to be able to connect. Patients might have um, a pre-hearing examination with the doctor. So they've got so they've got the right to section two, it's opt-out, section three, it's a bit different. But they've got the right to do that. And again, just facilitating the technology to do that is part of ensuring that adjournments don't happen. So it might seem like a really practical thing, but it is a way of supporting patients because if you can work out a way to make it as smooth as possible, it makes adjournments less likely. I was just checking there weren't any more questions. I thought I'd better take a breath just yeah. in case. Yeah. 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 Well, just, we'll just double check. Oh, my, um, my internet. Nope, no questions at the moment. Hopefully. It's there. How can oh, we, how can we make things more yeah. diverse then? How can we get more, a, a better range of ages, cultural backgrounds, um, representation how can we how can we do do that because in mental health nursing we aren't bad in terms of mm. diversity but maybe we're not as loud a voice in terms of tribunals as we should be yeah so I don't know if um, nurses are overly aware about the role of the specialist member so the way to find that is through the Judicial Appointments Commission, which if you Google, it will come up and they advertise the roles there. So if you look for specialist um, lay member mental health tribunal, they have that role for England and Wales. And they talk about, there's some information on that website about what the role is. There is a significant time commitment involved. It's a paid role. Um, so you can't do it as part of your clinical role. But there is a significant time commitment, which makes it difficult for some people. I think it's roughly about 30 days, maybe slightly less in Wales, 20 days. Um, I would really advocate for nurses going for that role mm. because we are ex we've got expertise in the Mental Health Act. We've yeah. got expertise in the Code of Conduct. We have expertise in working with people with mental disorders and experiencing mental distress. Um, we've got expertise in how the care that people should receive. 
obviously with the Mental Health Act changes that may be coming, the tribunal powers may extend to look at whether care is appropriate as well. So we're still looking at what that might look like. But mental health nurses have so much to give that role. Um, And I would strongly recommend that they look into applying for that. So look at the Judicial Appointments Commission website where those come out and you can sign up to their vacancies newsletter. And when that when that comes out, you will see it. And it tells you a bit more about the selection process. Um, But I think we're in a really, really good position to to do that role. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, in terms of um, who the person can bring for support, should we um, just talk a little bit about that for people who might be listening? So you've talked a little bit about the nearest relative. Um, so maybe if we can just unpick what the nearest relative is for people who might not understand that terminology. Absolutely. So in terms of the tribunal, people absolutely can have someone there to support them, but it has to be prearranged mm-hmm. um, because it's a legal process and essentially it's the equivalent of a courtroom it has to be pre-arranged through the Mental Health Act Office who talk to the Ministry of Justice and organise who can be there. Um, nearest relative, as you've you've said, has a set criteria which is outlined in the Code of Conduct of who that will be. And I know you spoke about some of the changes that may be coming in the Mental Health Act in a previous episode, but they're looking at changing the criteria of the nearest yeah. relative potentially. And that might be more aligned to a next of kin so people could nominate someone. That's good. Uh, it will be so much better. Um, yeah. Because at the moment you have you can have some odd situations where people's nearest relative um, are someone that they don't yeah, don't get on with, don't see. And displacing that can be hard because it's a legal process. Um, yeah. So nearest relative, to cut a very long list that goes down of who nearest yeah. relative is generally it's a parent or a partner but there are there is a specific remit for who that is and I think it's because the nearest relative have rights under the legal mm. uh, framework it's really really important if you're going to provide evidence at a tribunal that you've spoken to them if you've got permission to do that from the patient. Because if you're thinking about least restrictive options, which is what the tribunal will be looking for, they will want to know what the opinion of the nearest relative is in terms of are there least restrictive options? What support do they have in the community? And if you haven't had any contact with the nearest relative, it's really concerning in terms of how have you looked at what options are there for this person in the community if you haven't had any contact. Um, are, is the person, often patients will talk about their nearest relative or the person who they find really supportive and talk about the lesser restrictive options that they believe are available to them and they will talk about the support systems. But if the people providing evidence have no knowledge of those support systems, haven't spoken to them, it's really hard for the tribunal to consider that as a least restrictive option because we don't know. We don't know that person's opinion or view on whether they can support that person. So that's something I think nurses are really well positioned to do. And I would really encourage nurses to make sure. And it sounds such an obvious thing, but it's so easy to get missed because, again, there are tight deadlines. And I, I think that's something that's will generally come up in the oral evidence. So it's useful for nurses to be aware. I think it would be it's really useful to have a very, very it doesn't have to be definite, but have some idea of discharge planning right from when you first admit someone how are we going to get this person home for two reasons firstly the tribunal might discharge someone immediately and so how are you going to support that person and think about their aftercare rights and secondly because some of the key things the tribunal are looking at is why can this person not be at home? 
So what have you done to try and work towards getting this person in a home environment, be that supported accommodation, be that their house, where, wherever they want to live? Not just a vague idea of the person could go into supported accommodation, but you need to have had a conversation. What does that person yeah. want to do? What does recovery look like to them? Where do they want to go after they've been detained? Um coming with kind of a vague, or they could go to supported accommodation, or there is this place that we sometimes send people to. We want to know what the patient thinks about it. So that's something, again, that nurses can play a really good part in terms of advocating and presenting that at the tribunal. And that's something that you're likely to get asked about is the discharge planning. I know I mentioned um, the importance of looking through the notes, but you're likely to get asked about if there's anything that's happened between the report was written and now. So it's useful to know what's gone on since the report. And sometimes the tribunal like to know about any PRN that's been used. So it's useful to have a quick look at the medication chart. And part of the reason for that is if you're going to discharge someone suddenly, but they're using lots of PRN, how are you planning for that? What, what would be in place for the person? Um, and also thinking about anything that's happened in the last few days that might impact that legal criteria. So it's really useful because that may well come up as well. Yeah. And again, just being aware that the more details you put in the report, the less likely you are to get asked. But having a really clear chronology is really, really useful. So that bear in mind, people are going to have to pick up this report and that's all the information they're getting about that person before they meet the tri- before they go into the tribunal. Having a really clear chronology of what's happened for this individual is so helpful in the decision making process. Because sometimes things get put in there that happened years and years and years ago. A bit like we said earlier, has just been copied over from risk assessments, but isn't relevant anymore. And if it's not clear that that happened years and years ago and hasn't been an issue since, yeah. it can influence the decision-making process. And I think that's a really important point because sometimes historical risk can really stigmatise a person and kind of stay with them for the rest of their lives when it's something that happened, you know, 20 years ago and the context for that incident was very specific and isn't relevant to how that person is today. And I think that's really important that we think about what's historical risk and what, what's current risk, really, and how we kind of portray that. Absolutely. And you'll be asked about it. So it's, it's important that you've got that knowledge. I, I just wanted to make sure that we did cover this. So I want to get it in. Yeah. Something it's really important to bear in mind, particularly in the days of virtual hearing, is that you, as a nurse, you might be in the room with the patient and you might be the only person in the room with the patient because other people might be logging in from other areas. Whereas when it's in a room, we're all in a room together. So I think it's just really mind, important that nurses are mindful. Firstly, they've had a discussion with the patient if they're well enough about what might happen if they're not successful in their tribunal, Mm. um, how they might feel, what support they're going to get after. If the patient becomes distressed and leaves the room, you need to stay to give evidence. So who is available to support that patient? What supervision is available to you if that relationship is damaged? And how do you manage any aggression that might come to you? So just being aware of that, I just wanted to get that in. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm aware. I can't believe that we're coming to the end already. Three minutes. In, yeah, we've got another hour. <laughs> we've so much in, haven't we? Well, we so might have to because we've got a few more questions. Yeah, let's come to Nikki. Yeah, I'm happy to extend it. So if we come yeah. to Nikki with questions and then back to yourself, okay. Alan, if that's okay. Yeah, so someone has asked, Henra again has asked, does CTO come in here? So it's not so clear on that one. And a couple of people have said um, it's really useful, particularly for, for new nurses, because it's, it's such an anxiety-provoking thing the first time you do it, for sure. And, and we've also had a question, are there any books or resources you could recommend us to go and have a look to understand more about good practice? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so um, in terms of community treatment orders, it absolutely does apply to community treatment orders. 
there are different ways of accessing tribunals. One is patients requesting them. And there's a really good guide by the Equality and Human Rights Commission. So if you Google Equality and Human Rights Commission, um, your rights when detained under the Mental Health Act in England. It's got a really, really good guide. It's really, really long. So it's something that I would recommend you'd probably need to sit down and talk through with someone rather than just give them. But for people who are still learning about the Mental Health Act, for mental health nursing students, I think it's a fantastic resource. So have a look at that. Absolutely applies to community treatment orders. And what I wanted to say is as well as patients applying. Um, sometimes hospital managers apply for them because there are things in the Mental Health Act where people, as well as opting to have a tribunal, their um, legal process says they have to have a tribunal to make sure that their detention is um, legal. So community treatment orders, you will definitely see tribunals for those. And that's really important because you need to make sure that they're, they're a big risk to people's liberty in terms of human rights, aren't they? So they need to be um, made sure they're done within the legal framework. Um, in terms of books and guides, the, the Mental Health Code of Conduct, I know it's big, but it's your friend. Have a look at it. When questions come up about the Mental Health Act or things you're interested in, for instance, the tribunal, Go to that and have a look. And if you do that when you're learning, it will just um, it will be there for once you're qualified. That document that I've said is really good. And there is an article that I came across yesterday when I was researching um, for what we might talk about today, which is a mental health practice article, which is the role of the nurse in the tribunal. And I'm fairly sure if you Google that, it will be enough to get it up. I will have a quick check. Um, and it just outlines, similar to what we've discussed this evening, actually, but just has it in writing and, and will give you a bit more time to absorb it. I really recommend that. I could not find, there were lots of guides to the Mental Health Act. I couldn't find a chapter on nurses and tribunals anywhere other than that article. And I think there probably is the need for a book chapter on yeah. the nursing role in tribunals, mm -hmm. how they can present evidence. So if someone wants to write that chapter, I'm not offering. <laughs> but I would absolutely support someone writing that chapter because it's such an important thing that we do. And I mm -hmm. think that, that it would be useful. And if there is a book chapter out there, let us know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anything else, Nikki? No. Okay, Helen, over to you for final comments. Anything that we've kind of missed that you'd like to get in there before we finish? I know I said it um, before, but just do consider the role of supervision. Yeah, We do tribunals a lot and sometimes we kind of are quite blasé about them, but they do really have the potential to damage therapeutic relationships they can be hard in terms of that relationship. So please do access supervision about them and acknowledge that it can do that and acknowledge that with the patient as well if that has happened. Um, it's really important. And just in conclusion, thank you so much. Thank you for giving me this space. Oh, no. Something that's really important to me. And if, I, if the take-home message for me is please do not underestimate the importance of the nursing role in mental health tribunals. They are a key safeguard. They are a key part of the advocacy role, which yeah. the NMC tells us we have to have. Um, so please don't take it lightly. Just answering, going back to one of the questions, for students to sit in tribunals can be quite difficult, but really valuable if you can do it. It relies on you asking in advance. So you'd need to get the patient's permission. And ideally, you need to ask the Mental Health Act office who will relay that to the Ministry of Justice. So it takes some forward planning. If it's something you want to do, try sitting with your academic, um, your practice assessor at the beginning of the placement and seeing if there are any tribunals come up and doing it that way. Bear in mind that there are high adjournment or withdrawal rates because people come off section so it might not be possible 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, and and thank you. It's been really informative. I mean, we've really crammed a lot in tonight, haven't so we? So much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with, there will be a recording. So for people who are watching this, um, there is a recording, so you can watch it again, and there will be the audio as well. And um, and if people have any burning questions afterwards, they can still tweet us and we'll pass any comments on to yourself, Helen, because you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? So that's I, um, great. Um, Nikki, any final comments from yourself? Well, no, just thank you very much to Helen because I think it's an area that that does cause anxiety. Yeah, and, absolutely. And if it's not done well, it's a real problem. So I think it's somewhere where we need to be more skillful and keep up updating our practice and keep striving to do things that are that are more supportive, more recovery focused. Yeah, mm. you're right, and it is a bit of an elephant in the room that nurses don't talk about, isn't it? So I think the way you've portrayed it in a therapeutic way, and the importance of nurses within tribunals but in terms of the therapeutic relationship I think for me that's really come across and that's really important isn't it so thank you and um and we'll say good night shall we until next week thank you, <laughs> thank you. bye, bye. <laughs>